where I live, it's extremely Republican. Like, everywhere you go, it's MAGA signs and Trump this, Trump that. Brittany Preston grew up in a small town in central Pennsylvania, a conservative corner of a purple state. If you wear anything or look like you're not a a fan of Trump, a worshiper of Trump, people will look at you and be like, you're a snowflake, you're a sheep. It's honestly like you feel bullied into being quiet. Brittany is 22, and up until now, she didn't feel like her vote mattered that much. So she's never cast a ballot in an election before. But that's going to change in November for Brittany and for a lot of other people. So we had this um, list of um, people who had just registered. I literally just went down the list calling people. That's campaign reporter Hannah Knowles. She's been calling up people who registered to vote in Pennsylvania this summer. And there was one thing that kept coming up over and over again. The Supreme Court's decision to overturn Roe v. Wade. It was so clear from those conversations that, you know, these people were directly motivated to vote because of abortion. They brought it up without me even asking directly about it. And one of those people was Brittany. She had been thinking a lot about this issue because of her own life story. A lot of people believe that, like, the foster system is an outing. Like, oh, you know, instead of an abortion, put them in foster care. But that's definitely not, it's not a backup. That's not how that works. Brittany brought an interesting personal experience to it because she was a foster child. And she said, you know, even though things worked out very well for me. I know that that's just not the case um, for so many other people who end up in the foster system. And so she was really worried about, you know, what do restrictions on abortion mean for all those kids who maybe get given up for adoption? There's no good side uh, for this election. It's kind of like 2020. There was no real good side. Same with this one. There's no perfect ending, but there's a right and a wrong. I know for a fact that I'm voting for this one because of its big impact on a lot of people. From the newsroom of The Washington Post, this is Post Reports. I'm Elahe Izadi, in for Martine Powers. It's Friday, September 9th. Today, we talk with Hannah about how this rollback of abortion protections has motivated voters across the country and how the stakes for the midterms just got higher. Martine sat down with Hannah to hear about her recent trip to Pennsylvania and what she learned about how voters are thinking ahead of November. I wanted to know, is abortion something that's actually motivating um, voters to turn out in a new way? Is this driving people to the polls who maybe were kind of disinterested before, just didn't think it was worth it to turn out for Democrats? And is this something that's actually persuading voters as well? And that's where we talk about um, independents, especially independent women. And there's just massive evidence that they actually are um, shifting away from the GOP and toward the Democrats because of this issue. And and what were the conversations that made that clear to you? I talked to um, some of the new registrants in Pennsylvania um, where you do see this surge of um, women in particular signing up right after Roe v. Wade is overturned. Um, And, you know, in the big picture, it's kind of a drop in the bucket. Like these new voters alone, they're not going to change the course of an election. um, But it's a pretty clear sign that you know, this is something that matters to women so much that it could actually change the composition of the people who are registering. And explain more about Pennsylvania and um, why it's an important state when we're thinking about this question of abortion access and, and how that is going to play out in elections. 
I feel like people don't talk about abortion and its uh, role in the Pennsylvania elections enough um, because, you know, I personally, I'd heard a lot more about the role of abortion in, you know, uh, Michigan elections and Wisconsin elections where you've had these old um, near total bans on the books that have just brought the issue front and center. And clearly, you know, that will play a huge role. Um, but uh, it's really on the line in Pennsylvania in an interesting way um, because it's currently legal. And yet, you know, the governor's race in Pennsylvania could really decide the fate of abortion access there because you have super clear contrast between the candidates and you have a Republican-controlled state house that has indicated interest in significantly restricting the procedure if they have a Republican governor to sign that bill. And who is the candidate that is uh, advocating for those, those increased restrictions on abortion access? The Republican nominee in Pennsylvania um, for the governor's race is Doug Mastriano, and um, he authored as a state legislator um, a heartbeat bill, which would ban abortion after about six weeks. Um, That's before a lot of women know they're pregnant. And um, he's also been pretty vocally against um, some common exceptions to those bans for, you know, rape and incest. There's just a lot of fear, I think, um, among advocates of abortion access about what Alice could look like under Mastriano. So one of the stops you made in Pennsylvania was in Bucks County to the Polish-American Family Festival and Country Fair. Can you tell me about some of the conversations you had with people there? I went to um, Bucks County because I knew it was this interesting place outside of Philadelphia where, uh, you know, Biden... Um, narrowly won the county in 2020, but it's this place where I think, you know, Republicans felt like they had made gains. Um, Last year, you saw um, GOP candidates winning some local races, and that really contributed to this feeling that I think a lot of the, a lot of Republicans around the country had that they were making gains in like the suburbs, right? And with, you know, suburban women and all these key swing groups. I'm Marianne Troy, and uh, right now I'm living in Bremar, Pennsylvania. So how do you describe yourself politically? Like, do you identify with one party or the other? You know, I used to be a Republican. One of the people I met um, in Bucks County was Marianne Troy, and um, she was once a Republican. She's voted for Democrats in recent years, and she um, felt very strongly about abortion. She did not like Mastriano's um, position on exceptions to abortion bans. Like, I'm, I'm a practicing Catholic, but you know what? Rape, incest, and the life of the, of the mother. I mean, come on. You know, we're already seeing what's happening in, in Texas when doctors are afraid to help a woman that's having a miscarriage. It's a sentiment that I heard from so many people, um, especially women, um, where, you know, they just felt like um, Republican candidates, um, especially the ones at the top of the ticket in Pennsylvania, Um, have staked out um, very uncompromising positions on abortion access. I feel that they hate women, these men that are doing this, and they have no right to, I don't think any politician has any right to to have anything to say about what goes on between a doctor and their patient. And you went canvassing, right, with a, a group of anti-abortion activists. Can you, can you talk about how they were, um, like, navigating that, that challenge or of, of trying to get people excited for, for their cause in advance of the election? 
Yeah, so I went out canvassing with um, people from Susan B. Anthony Pro-Life America, which is one of um, these big national groups um, opposing abortion. I've been door knocking since October. Oh, wow. And training people and getting them out in the field, so. Yeah, and they're very involved in the midterms, um, you know, as are uh, pro-abortion access groups. They're just, um, you know, spending millions of dollars. They're knocking on millions of doors, trying to get their message out. Marlene's been here since November. I started in October. And, um, you know, w- when I was out um, canvassing with them, we did come across some people who, you know, strongly wanted to see um, limits on abortion access. Um, so there was some of that. My name is Marlene Downing. I'm from, I live in Delaware, from Pennsylvania. Um, some people think that they're doing a woman a favor by standing with them on abortion, but actually it not only affects the, the mother, but it, um, the child, but it affects the mother as well. That's not something that's simple. That's something that really, really affects you for the rest of your life. But I think you also saw at this canvassing, you know, signs that, uh, you know, even people who oppose abortion realize they have a very fine line um, to walk here and that, mm. you know, their their positions are not necessarily um, shared by a lot of Americans and that they, they very much are trying to speak to um, the middle rather than, you know, the people who want to see full out bans. Um, and so, you know, as we were knocking on doors, um, you know, when they talk about Doug Mastriano, the gubernatorial candidate, they would not say, you know, he supports a heartbeat bill. He supports a ban after six weeks. They would say he opposes late-term abortions, and they would focus hmm. on um, that the, the, part to of be, the equation. I mean, to be clear, that's not really accurate, right? I mean, when we talk about late-term abortions, we're often talking about much later than six weeks. And so it, it seems like they're sort of fudging what I, th- I think regular people would understand in, in terms of what uh, Mastriano's platform actually is when it comes to abortion. Yes. uh, You know, late term abortions is generally um, 21 to 24 weeks into pregnancy and later. um, So that is very different than a six week ban. After the break, how Democratic and Republican candidates across the country are changing their political strategies because of abortion. We'll be right back. This November, voters in several places will get to vote on whether or not to protect abortion rights in their states. That list includes California, Kentucky, Vermont, and Montana. And then, just yesterday, the Michigan State Supreme Court paved the way for a ballot measure on whether or not to protect abortion rights in the state constitution. Martine wanted to know from Hannah, what does this mean for the midterms? I'm curious what kind of effect this is going to have going into November, because I think the narrative up until recently has been Democrats are about to lose big in basically every way in the midterm elections. Um, And yet the fact that Roe v. Wade was overturned um, and that abortion is on a lot of people's minds and a lot of women's minds right now seems to be this source of a little bit of optimism for Democrats, that they're hearing people like the folks that you've talked to who say, oh, this is something that really matters to me, that has really scared me, and that's why I am going to be voting or that I'm registering to vote or that I'm going to be like more involved because because the situation seems so dire. 
I think Democrats absolutely see this as um, a game changer for them. And there's mounting evidence that, um, you know, they have seen voters shift um, toward them. They have been able to, you know, get people across their base more interested in the election. You know, they've overperformed in a number of special elections since uh, Roe was overturned. Um, just all these data points that um, lead them to have new optimism about the House. Um, you know, Republicans are still definitely expected to take control there. But, you know, maybe it's only by a handful of seats. Maybe it's not the sweeping gains that they had in mind earlier in the year. And and what are you seeing from uh, from that data in terms of like how much more people are are planning to be engaged in this upcoming election because of abortion or or who it is who's who's starting to you know plan on voting if they weren't otherwise going to do that um but because of this moment in terms of people you know shifting their vote you know it's absolutely been a lot of it's been concentrated among um you know politically independent women um suburban women college educated white women you know groups like that or you know Republicans felt like they had kind of chipped away um, at some of the Democratic support there recently, and now you see them shifting back. In terms of who's more motivated to vote, it's really Democrats across the board. And you just see Democrats closing um, the enthusiasm gap. I talked to some pollsters, and they found, um, you know, in recent months, um, Republicans' interest in the election, which was already high, had only ticked up a few percentage points. Mm. And Democrats' enthusiasm had ticked up like more than 10 percentage points. And mm-hmm. same with independents. I mean, they were also um, way more engaged in this um, NBC polling that I talked to people about. Um, so that was interesting. Um, it was also interesting that this wasn't just women. Um, you saw the increase pretty similarly among men and women. Um, and so I think it's really just about turning out the Democratic base. And, and then what about Republicans here and, and the flip side of this? I mean, you said that that interest in this election has only ticked up marginally, according to polls, because of the, the Dobbs decision. Why is that? Like, what is the what is the thinking there or in some ways the challenge for Republicans um, in the aftermath of this decision? And how is abortion kind of playing into into their strategy going into November? There are some anti-abortion advocates who would absolutely say, you know, this has galvanized, um, you know, our supporters. It's galvanized um, religious voters. And, you know, we see people who really care about this issue, who realize that, you know, they can affect policy in this new way um, if they turn out. But I've also talked to, um, you know, opponents of abortion who freely admit that the other side has been more energized and that basically, you know, it's easier to turn people out who are angry and fearful about this than those who, you know, feel like they've just won this big victory at the courts. I can see the kind of challenge of, well, why would people care about voting in the future if Roe v. Wade was already overturned? But but then what's the strategy here? Like when you look at um, Republican campaigns more nationally, how are they trying to um, kind of defend against this moment? I think mostly you see Republican candidates not wanting to talk about abortion and, you know, wanting to keep the focus on these issues where they feel like they're more on more solid ground, like the economy, inflation, crime. You do interestingly see um, some candidates, I think, feeling forced to address it in some way um, because they're being just, um, you know, hit by all these negative ads highlighting their position on abortion. And so you saw in Arizona, the Republican Senate candidate, um, Blake Masters, actually put out a video addressing his stance on abortion and attacking his opponent, Mark Kelly, as extreme. 
Look, I support a ban on very late term and partial birth abortion. And most Americans agree with that. That would just put us on par with other civilized nations. You know, that race has really highlighted um, the backtracking that Republicans have had to do here because um, Blake Masters used to advocate, you know, very broadly for a federal personhood law, which is generally understood to be a ban on abortions. Um, And now in the general election, um, he's saying specifically, I want to ban abortions in the third trimester. And you even see candidates like removing things from their website. Blake did that. Some other candidates have done that with, you know, not only their stances on abortion, but um, their, you know, vocal support for Trump as well. Um, So you see, you know, all over the place, these pivots toward the general election and abortion is absolutely part of that. It's also been interesting to see how much focus there has been on um, both primaries and special elections that have happened since the Dobbs decision, um, because it feels like everyone's trying to look at these smaller elections and or, or statewide elections and say, like, what does this mean for the rest of the country and, and how things are going to go in November? So what are the takeaways that we've seen so far of those um, special elections or primaries that have had some indication of, like, where people are figuring abortion into their decision making and voting? Yeah, well, I think the big moment came in Kansas last month. This was literally the first test of abortion actually being on the ballot. I I really don't think we can overstate just how big of a deal this is. The answer was clear, and it was decisive, and it was in Kansas. I mean, you said... Voters just turned out in droves to reject changes to um, the state's constitution that basically would have removed existing protections for abortion access. This is a much larger margin uh, than anybody anticipated. And now why? Well, one big reason is turnout. That was a moment where people on both sides of the aisle stopped and said, whoa, you know, this is going to be a bigger factor than we maybe anticipated, um, you know, back in June. Beyond that, we've seen Democrats repeatedly overperform in special elections, and these are kind of the first chances to see, like, how will a Republican do against a Democrat? And, you know, it started just a few days after Roe was overturned. I talked to um, Patty Panzing-Brooks, who was running for a House seat in Nebraska against um, Mike Flood, the Republican. And she said her advisors actually, they were kind of wary of her talking about um, abortion, even in those days right after Roe was overturned. And, you know, clearly this was just on everyone's minds. Um, And they kind of worried, you know, is this going to be a turnoff for moderate voters in, you know, pretty red state. Is this something we should just stay away from? But she went ahead with ads that really highlighted the issue of abortion um, right before her special election on June 28th. And she ended up losing by six points in a district that Donald Trump won by 11 points in 2020. And so that is not really what you would expect in a red wave year where, Mm -hmm. you know, theoretically the Republicans should be doing even better. Um, And so that was just kind of the first indicator. We saw that repeat in um, every special election since Roe was overturned. Um, And one of the most recent ones was in New York, where a Democrat um, actually won the race. Um, And so you've just seen Democrats get increasingly hopeful, talking about, you know, maybe we can even um, keep the House, which, again, is is not... uh, Ooh, Not that's, yeah. that's a lot of, a lot of <laughs> optimism. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. and that's like, I think that's a real question that I have is like how much of this and what we're hearing in terms of like, oh, abortion is this galvanizing issue for the next couple of months. How much of, of that could just be um, 
Democrats being overly optimistic? And, and what's the argument that, in fact, abortion will not ultimately matter that much come November? I don't think anyone's saying it won't um, matter, but certainly, um, you know, a lot of Republicans and some Democrats, too, believe that at the end of the day, um, economic issues are going to be at the front of people's minds. Um, Polling consistently shows that that's um, the most important issue to voters. Um, Although you do see, you know, actually some interesting polling in specific races that's showing, you know, abortion sometimes as the top issue. You know, I, I think we do see more and more evidence that this is breaking through to people. I talked to Representative Tom Cole, who said that the other week, um, House GOP leadership were on a conference call with all their members and basically signaled that, you know, this is an all-hands-on-deck moment. You know, everyone needs to, you know, work hard. Majorities are, um, you know, they're earned, not given. And so you see, you know, even Republicans kind of changing their, their tone and stance and saying, hey, guys, let's not, you know, let's not be overly optimistic here. Hannah Knowles is a political reporter for The Post. Martine Powers conducted this interview, and this story was produced by Eliza Dennis. That's it for Post Reports. Thanks for listening. Today's show was mixed by Sean Carter and edited by Rena Flores. Our executive producer is Maggie Penman. Our supervising senior producer is Rena Flores. Ted Muldoon is our senior producer. Our editor is Lexi Diao. Our producers are Eliza Dennis, Sharla Freeland, Alana Gordon, Ariel Plotnick, Arjun Singh, Jordan Marie Smith, and Rennie Svernofsky. Sabi Robinson and Emma Talkoff are our assistant producers. Sean Carter is our engineer. Our intern is Natalie Bettendorf. The Post's director of audio is Renita Jablonski. I'm Elahe Izadi. We'll be back Monday with more stories from The Washington Post.